Undig Me Out, Tim and Jay Review, Lula Divinia by Shiner. It's not that I turn it off, I just zone out. This could almost be an instrumental band. Your head starts to spin if you're really paying attention and like try to figure out like what part to follow. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi. And joining me once again, Jason Ziak. Jay. Yeah. We are we are on episode two of season two of Dig Me Out. Did you ever think we'd make it to season two? Uh, not really. And I would not have, well, I guess I'm impressed with our consistency. In some ways, I get, uh, I'm not completely surprised by that, knowing both of our personalities, but uh, I am pretty proud that we've we've stayed consistent and, and have delivered a new episode every week. When you mean personalities, you mean our unwillingness to let something go once we've started it? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Okay. We both tend to be a fairly regimented about things that we commit to that's true i do eat the same thing every day for lunch for one month straight which i make on the first day of each month just so i'm planned out for the entire month yeah i don't do that that's just no i'm that's, that's, insanity. that's a joke that's a joke that's i only do it by the week not the whole oh month. i totally wouldn't would have believed you i didn't for a second doubt that, that would, wouldn't have been true I'm sipping. Uh, I'm sipping a little bit of tea here. I got a little bit of a scratchy throat this evening as we were recording. So uh, if I if I start to lose it at some point, I apologize to our listeners. I'm not. Uh, I wasn't out partying or anything, getting crazy. It's just uh, that time of year. Let it scratch, Wolf Man. Yeah, get down low. There we go. Let it go. Speaking of getting down low. This band we're going to review tonight, they get down low, and I mean tuning-wise. We're talking about Shiner. Now, Jay, you were familiar with Shiner before we tackled this album, correct? Sure. Were you familiar with this album? Yes. You were? I was familiar with this album and The Egg. And I have Starless as well, but I haven't listened to Starless as much as I've listened to this and The Egg. Okay, I've listened to Starless and the Egg, but I had never listened to this album before reviewing it. So, I'm coming at it, I guess, from different uh, perspectives as far as that goes. So, let's get into the history of Shiner. History of the band. Shiner was formed in Kansas City, Missouri in 1992. Originally, Alan Epley on vocals and guitar, Sean Sherrill on bass, and Tim Dow on drums. I want to mention during the Wrens uh, podcast, I think I might have referred to Tim Dow as the lead singer. Uh, Dig Me Out apologizes for this error. And it will not be happening again. Obviously, I meant to say Alan Epley is the lead singer of uh, Shiner. You going to say something, Jay? I was just going to say that um, we've noticed something um, with our viewership, our viewership, our listeners that is actually pretty handy. Um, they apparently know some stuff, at, in a lot of cases, a lot more than we know. Yeah. Um, so we've been getting emails, which is great, and some comments occasionally. Uh, <coughs> want to take the opportunity that feel free um, if we say something inaccurate here <laughs> about the bands, please, by all means, go to the comments and correct us. I think that'd be a great place to to uh, to get the story straight and to uh, to get the real information. So. 
Yes, please. You know better than we do. Awesome. We won't be offended. Please go. No. So the first release from Shiner was in 1993. It was an EP on DeSoto Records that was followed uh, by some singles and then finally an album on DeSoto in 1996 called Splay. It was recorded at Steve Albini's studio in Chicago by uh, Shellac member Bob Weston. Steve Albini, also a member of Shellac. Their second album, which we are reviewing, I believe it's pronounced Lula Divinia, was released the following year on Hit Recording, Hit It Recordings. Paul Melanowski replaced Sean Cheryl on bass for this album. Their third album, Starless, came out in 2000 on the owned and operated label. Now, there's a little bit of a shuffling of responsibilities. Uh, Melanowski moved from bass to keyboards and backing vocals. Jason Gherkin, formerly of Season to Risk, replaced Tim Dow on drums. And Josh Newton, also formerly of Season to Risk, came on uh, to play bass and keyboards. And then their final full-length, Egg, came out in 2001. It was released on DeSoto. On this album, Malinowski went back to playing bass. Josh Newton moved from bass and keyboards to guitar. And Matt Matt Talbot, formerly of Hum, played some keyboards on the record. It was recorded at Talbot's studio in... uh, I believe it's Champlain, Illinois. I'm guessing because that's where Hum was from. And Jay Robbins of Jawbox produced the album. DeSoto re-released the album that we're reviewing, Lula Divinia, in 2002 with two bonus tracks. I believe, Jay, that that is the version that we're reviewing. Was the 13 version, 13 track version, not the 11 track version. Am I correct? Yeah. So the last two songs are not on the original release. No, they're not. They're huh. bonus bonus tracks. I think they were on an EP that came out after this album. And then when they re-released it, they put it on the album. So Malinowski plays in the band. Well, he plays in a couple bands. Uh, and I don't know how many of these are active and how many of these are defunct at this point. Open Hand was one band. Newton, Newton and Every Time I Die and the damn things and alan epley plays in the band the life and times which has put out a number of albums and eps since shiner has broken up so that is the history of shiner now you mentioned that you had heard this album before mm-hmm. uh when was the last time you listened to it oh wow i'm sure it's come up here and there over the course of the last 10 years but probably not start to finish in 10 years so I'm guessing it was around the time I think you and I both became aware of Shiner when the egg was released is yeah. that fair to say yeah and, and I think I I either became aware of him as soon as that album came out or just prior to it but around that time and then sort of backtracked from there yeah getting Starless and, and this album so you, you in the history that I just gave you'll notice that from the second album this one to the third album they added new players and they also added keyboards the, uh, the i guess you could say the sound on the third and fourth albums are a bit more expansive but 
in terms of the in terms of the sound on on this album i heard a lot of bands not necessarily that they're probably more contemporaries than influences uh i heard hum i heard failure i heard sunny day real estate i even heard like cave-in the specifically the jupiter album mm-hmm. and i'm wondering if those are the same balance that you heard if you heard different things and what your overall impression of this album is yeah i heard i heard all those bands the thing that's it's interesting I, I don't really think that the ba against starless sound that different which is kind of amazing i didn't realize they had gone through so many change in members and rotation but who played what and i mean they they sound pretty pretty damn close thinking back that doesn't really make much sense but because this band has a very distinct sound so while they sound like a lot of those bands you mentioned you know i'll throw in no knife as another band that came to mind when i listened to them they are still pretty unique um i think one of the big things at least on this album especially um just because i obviously focused on it more for for this episode but they use a lot of clean guitars but they're a Mm -hmm. heavy band um and those two things don't normally go together but they pull it off remarkably well um i'm sure part of that is tuning um but another part of it is just the parts they write and uh the bass tone and how tight they are with the bass and the drums it they still have a very heavy sound um, so it creates this really, really unique, interesting texture that uh, I think uh, really the only other band that I can think of that I mentioned that, that can get there is No Knife, but they tend to be, um, I, I don't think they, they don't tend to be as dark as Shiner can get, um, but they still have that cl- kind of clean guitar uh, sound, but can still get heavy. That's um, interesting that you mentioned No Knife because from what I've read about their guitar tunings, they actually tune up. Yeah. They actually go for a brighter sound, whereas Shiner tunes down a full step to C. Yeah. Which makes them really heavy. I mean, that's what the Pumpkins were doing on the uh, Machina album. They were tuning down to C to get that really dark sound. And, and it really creates... I don't want to say that they're completely unique, but there's a really, really specific sound to shiner's guitar tone yeah because of that that full step tuned down and because they're playing those clean guitars um you don't really hear it in a lot of those other bands that even in their when they're tuning just to d which is a half step down they're not getting is that sort of tone that shiner's getting and i'm guessing that probably has to do with the combination of guitars and amps that they're using too yeah i was trying to figure it out there's there's the tuning there's the guitars which i just blindly guessing they they sound um, fender jazz master or or jaguar ish because they have a good mid-tone to them some of that might be just completely thrown off because the tuning is so low that you know the tone just characteristics just completely change but that if i had to, if i had to take a million dollar guess that's what i would guess that they're playing something in that ballpark um that combined with with a great great amp tone i kept trying to figure out if they were using maybe a little bit of chorus or some sort of subtle you know effects on top of there because there's just there's this weird shimmer and chime that happens and 
um, you know, with the two guitar parts kind of hitting off each other. And even the bass tone, it, the bass tone tends to be a little bit grittier and more distorted, but you know, the way it mixes in there, it kind of creates these, um, these notes to happen and these sounds to happen that are very unique and it carries through the whole album. And I would say it's, it's, you know, it's obvious on the, on the following albums as well. So, uh, you know, just from that aspect alone, um, I think that's what makes them unique. Um, I, I think vocally, I wouldn't say he's, you know, I think there's some other, you know, tones and voices that come close to him, but I don't know. I guess for the style of music, he's fairly unique in that he doesn't like get overly aggressive or, I mean, this is fairly heavy, progressive, you know, I guess alternative rock. Almost. I call it space rock. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it's, it's very, it's very atmospheric at times. Yeah. So and it kind of reminds me of, of the, the, some of the, you, you could almost get into like spiritualized with some of the, like, you know, uh, spaciness that they're playing with. But it's very, <coughs> it's very intricate though. It's very, yeah. I mean, all, almost overly complex, especially on this album. I mean, there are some parts where your head starts to spin if you're really paying attention and like try to figure out like what part to follow. It's it's so um, layered and com- complex. And that was one of the things I was going to ask is that um, you know classifying this band, I, I think it's fairly difficult. And and listening to it with fresh ears, I want to I want to call this progressive music, progressive metal, or progressive rock. Or it's very hard for me now to listen to this and not think of it that way. I think at the time I didn't think of it that way, but now listening to it, you know, it, it's hard to to not hear bands like Tool or you know, sort of the the later '90s, mid '90s. Um, you know, alt rock stuff that's started to lean a little bit more progressive. You know, I, I start to think of it that way. Does that, does that sound off base to you or? No. And it, it's weird because this band straddles the line between so many different sounds. You know, I was reading up on them and someone described them as, uh, emo, but without the contrived chord changes, which I thought was an odd way to compare them. But you know, what? with 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 his vocal delivery, he is very emotive with the vocal delivery. It's not all, emo in the you know Sunny Day Real Estate end of it, not in the yeah, emo yes. like pop punk end of yeah, it. Yeah, okay. Um, and that's that's where I you hear the Sunny Day comparison. Contrived in, chord changes. What does that even mean? I don't know. That was just <laughs> what the person wrote. <laughs> Because they do some pretty crazy chord changes. I mean, they play some chords on this album that I, I'm like, I couldn't even begin to even tell you what key that is. <laughs> it's almost impossible to start <laughs> breaking down the album because it's there's time signature changes all over the place and and you know what crazy dynamics that are going on and you know you're like, oh, it's five four and wait a minute, they just switched from five four to three four and then there's a seven eight time and then there's and you're just like, okay, I can't even keep up with all the stuff that they're doing. Yeah, I mean, that kind of, that gets to a good point. I mean, so I, I struggle with this album from this aspect. The left side of my brain, when I analyzed it and listened to all the bits and parts, pretty much I checked off everything that I love, you know? So 
Tone-wise, it's amazing. Playing-wise, it's amazing. Creativity, it's amazing. You know, vocally, I like his voice. Like, tonally, it's great. Um, you know, I could go check, 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 check. But I can't deny the fact that when I listen to this album, I start to lose focus. And I kind of fade out. And I can't pay attention to the whole thing. So... Well, I think the thing that hurts it is there's... You, you have you complained about this on previous podcasts. It's hard to find the chorus with a lot of these songs. Uh, you know, in in track six, sideways. Piece line, I'm faster than you. Yeah. Over and over again. That's it's repetitive, but I don't know that it's necessarily a chorus. Yeah. Um, and then in track nine, uh, Jim's lament, he sort of changes his vocal delivery when he gets to the line "masquerade by fears." He brings it down, and it's a little bit. It's the lower range that he's singing in, and it sounds cool, and it's almost, I guess, a chorus, but. There's really there's not a lot of like of vocal hooks to latch on to whereas musically there's cool hooks everywhere Yeah, and I also found that when there is a good vocal, and I don't saying good vocals because it sounds stupid, but a vocal that um, I guess is strong or compelling or draws me in, it's usually at the cost of the music becoming much more simple. And, right. and I hear this back and forth throughout the album. When I notice myself being drawn in by the vocal, it'll be at a time when the music has been simplified and there's times where... I just ignore the vocal, and that's usually because the music is so comp- complex and and you know 
making me, you know, drawing my interest, making me pay attention to that. Um, they're, they're very rarely ever able to find that uh, those spots where those can, can can coexist and become one and truly work together. Um, one is always at the cost of the other, it seems, through, through the whole album. In a lot of ways, and I, I think they actually do this on the last album, this could almost be an instrumental band. Yeah. You know, they're so good musically, and I think there is an instrumental track on The Egg that's really good. Uh, There's one on here, too, isn't there? Well, uh, Pinned yeah. is, it's basically just two chords, and then they're, like, picking over the top of the two chords, and there's some distorted vocals and it's ex- that are on that song. It, it, like, bridges the other two songs together, too. Yeah, Bridges, Sideways, and Shelf Life. Yeah. Uh, which I wanted to mention Shelf Life because um, it's a cool song musically and, and the vocals are fine. At the end of the song, he starts screaming and he, that's the one thing he can't sort of pull off. Yeah. His voice just is way too thin to do to do screaming justice Yeah, the, the way that you, you would need to. Um, unless they were to double it up, which it doesn't sound like his voice is being doubled. He does some um, harmonies here and there with himself. Uh, they're barely harmonies, but he'll do like a, his normal med- medium to range vocal, and then he'll do one lower. I think there's one or two spots in the album verses he does that in. But yeah, he doesn't. He's not capable of doing anything sort of high. In this, the scream would would be his attempt at that. And as you you're <laughs> mentioning he doesn't do that very well and, and that, that becomes a real I guess that's where it becomes a real liability to me is that or his voice does in terms of when you have music this complex and you know some of the songs are short but other ones get fairly lengthy um, and progressive you I don't know I want that stuff to build to something and usually a vocal a singer that can you know, sort of change himself up and go into another range, plays that off. Um, I mean, you even see it with like uh, um, Mars Volta, which you know, right. they're for the most part a jam band or a modern progressive alt rock band, or whatever you want to call them. And he's able to sort of when they get to the high parts, you know, the the really manic, crazy parts or heavy parts you know he can go high with his vocal and it sort of adds this intensity to it and everything you know comes together and it um gives you goosebumps he can't do that so the band gets more intense and louder and he just is kind of stuck where he is and the music has to carry it um and i don't want to sound over critical because musically it's really really cool i mean they do some stuff that's just mind-blowing there's some there's some some notes and patterns on here where i'm like is that middle eastern like where are they getting this from like what i couldn't even begin to figure out how to play any of that they're drawing on a lot of different things i mean i can hear sonic youth i can hear the shoegaze of the early 90s um i can hear you know obviously like my bloody valentine in terms of the the way that they're bending notes using the whammy bar which swerve driver figures into that in some ways you know, there's just, there's so many different, I, there's sometimes where I'm like, listen to, it, I'm like, that sounds like a jazz riff that they're playing there. Yeah. I think it's in, uh, also in Jim's Lament, they get to this, like, uh, part of the song where he's hitting these, like, single chords, and it's on the backbeat, so it, it really, 
accents the tempo uh, or, or the beat of the song in this weird way and it, it sounds like like a jazz riff almost there's a lot of that stuff going on where you you hear it and you're like man that sounds like you know it would be a horn riff in a jazz song or, yeah. or it sounds like you know some sort of a, a noise part out of a out of a mid late 80s sonic youth album especially you know, if you look at it with the two bonus tracks, Cake should have been what would be the last song on the original album. And the end of Cake is, ju- is just like everything the band is in terms of like riffing. Like they throw like seven different riffs into the end of that one song mm-hmm. where they're like doing descending riffs and all these like their bass is going one way and the guitars going another way. It's It's amazing. I would have this is a band that like I would have loved to have seen them in a small club where they've got, you know, full stacks and just are blazingly, ear-shatteringly loud. Oh, it would have been mind-blowing. I kind of think that uh, there's a Cincinnati band um, whose name I'm blanking on at the moment, maybe uh, Jay Thistle, that this would have been sort of a a comparison in terms of their sound and in terms of their loudness. Yeah, I think... Thistle was more straightforward than this, but it was in the same ballpark. Yeah. The the drummer on this record is insane. I mean, for the tempos, the, out, yeah. the tempos they play at, which are, you know, relatively mid-tempo or slower, um, he's at times just playing it so much, it makes your head spin. There's a couple songs on here. Um, you know, by the end of the song, I'm, I'm, I was just listening to him and just thinking to myself, like, I'd be so exhausted at this point of the song. And it's not even a fast song. Like, he's just doing so many accents and just... It's like every beat he plays is considered. Like, you know, this time I'm going to hit the hi-hat. And then over here, I'm going to hit the ride. And now I'm going to, you know, add this little accent here. And then I'm going to roll the snare. And it's just like so meticulous it's incredible to just in in from a tone standpoint you know it's amazing too so i mean even if you're just like you know just into listening to great musicians i I guess in that way maybe it's like jazz um to go back to your comment about some of the chords and things they're using is that you can appreciate it um on a level that way that's really kind of fun to just listen to all the different you know parts and pieces and all the different guys do their performances because they're all pretty amazing I did want to mention uh, Tim Dow, besides playing in Shiner, played drums on the Abandoned Pools album Humanistic. 
He played drums on Pete Yorn's, Pete Yorn's album, Day I Forgot. He played drums in Year of the Rabbit. He wow. played drums in on a Ken Andrews solo album, Secrets of the Lost Satellite. And he played drums on uh, the band She Loom, their album, Seed of the Empire, which came out last year. She Loom features former Blinker the Star member uh, Jordan Zardnowski. I think that's how you pronounce his last name, Zardnowski. Hmm. So he's stayed active. I mean, he's basically been played drums, and that's those are just the the major ones that I'm mentioning. He's a, played with some other people. And a lot of those albums, I'm thinking of uh, Abandoned Pools and even Year of the Rabbit. I mean, the drums are good, but they're you know they're f- way simpler than this. Just yeah, more of, straightforward. It's kind of amazing. It's it's a little. It, I mean, obviously, um, Failure is a band that. You know, comes to mind immediately when you start listening to this this record, and uh, it's kind of interesting to hear that there's a bit of a circle there with with some of the members and who's played with who. I would have to imagine that Ken Andrews probably heard this band and was like, "I need to find out who those guys are." I mean, that sounds like they were right up their alley in terms of, and they had both recorded with recorded at Steve Albini's studio, mm. so you know, there for all we know, there might have been a relationship going back years if tim dow would like to send us an email let us know what what, how that all worked out we'd appreciate it um you mentioned a lot of bands uh in terms of who you might think that this album would be for like besides people who are fans of failure um hum sunday real estate you're the rabbit cave in jawbox do you think if, if people who are listening to heavier bands now discovered this album, that this would be something they'd be into? I'm thinking of like Mastodon or Queens of the Stone Age, those sort of bands. Um, I thought of a band I like a lot now called Russian Circles, who are um, they're instrumental. Um, that they, These guys remind me quite a bit of. I'd say Shiner's a bit more progressive and intricate and complex but um, not too far off the one big difference though between uh, Russian Circles and Shiner is that the Russian Circles albums um, I think they're all EPs or pretty close to it and, uh, they're at least like you know only four or five songs maybe the songs are longer you know than just three or four minutes but for the most part they're fairly short albums um, this is not especially if you get no. the, the, the reissued version. Um, so again, you know, I think we say this on almost every episode we do now, but you know, this album is very long. Uh, and, and that was part of my, my initial critique is, is, you know, I'm into, I'm into this kind of stuff, but even I can only take, it's not that I turn it off. I just zone out, you know, so why I'm, you know, working or whatever, I'll have this on and I'll sort of be into it. And then inevitably two songs in, I'm just forget it's even on, you know, and I sort of wake up seven songs later and have to remind myself, Oh, what am I listening to? Oh yeah. Shiner. Okay. So, you know, it's, um, I think it's for a lot of those bands, you said that all of those bands have a bit of a commercial, slight pop element to them i mean even a band like hum you know who had a radio single there's some element there of occasionally right. every other song or something there's some attempt to write a you know a hook 
or some sort of chorus. Um, these guys don't really, at least on this album, have any intent on doing that. So, yeah, they get to it on the next album. I think that <laughs> the next album is a little more straightforward in terms of. Uh, I think Kevin is waiting. Was this was the single? Yeah, supposedly yeah. off that album. Yeah. Uh, I think you know you mentioned Tool. I think that that's a good. You know, people who are into Tool and into that sort of darker progressive rock from the 90s mm-hmm. you know there are still tons of tool fans so i think this might be a band that they would be down with um other than that i had a hard time sort of pinning down because it's the musically it's not it's just so not straightforward that if you're not into like rush uh you're not going to be into this because it's just going to you're just going to be like why are they why is he playing 16th right now you're going to ask that but like he's going from playing like you know crazy 16th note hi hat you know almost like sounds like double kick stuff and then moving to these like you know 3 minute long halftime interludes and just it's just craziness somehow compacted into like 3 and 4 minute long rock songs yeah i mean you have to be if you're a musician you're going to be more likely to enjoy this <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I think they're a musician's band for sure. If you don't have that uh, musician's ear, where you can appreciate all of the, the nuance and detail, and um, just how meticulous they are, and and creatively from a microscopic level, you know that's what it comes down to for me. Is that when I break it down into its small little parts and pieces, I appreciate it way more than I do when I step back and just try to listen to it a whole as a whole and have it grab a hold of me it, it doesn't consistently do that so i think you have to have a, have a musician's ear to be able to appreciate it at that level probably not that other non-musicians can't but it definitely helps if you play a little bit to appreciate all the insanity that's going on from song to song and even within individual parts of songs so I think we're both on board with Shiner. I think that's safe to say. Uh, I still prefer, I think, the Egg in terms of an overall album. Would you? Is that? You know, we can't review that one. So, <laughs> in terms of the the Shiner catalog, do you have a preference? Oh, you know, it's tough. I, I revisited the Egg briefly uh, after listening to this, and I, I was kind of in. I'm kind of into this record. I mean, I think it sounds great. Um, I think it's a little bit more unique. I think the egg is them taking on and showing their influences a little bit more. Um, I think it just comes down to if, if you're in for a little bit more of a challenge and something that's maybe just a little bit more inspiring musically, I think this is a good album to go to. I think if you want something just, you know, has slightly more, you know, it's more song, you know, pop song oriented or song oriented then you should probably check out the egg. But like I said, I don't think they're that far off, far from each other. I mean, they're, they're all in the same ballpark. All right. Well, that's it for Shiner. We have given you the information. You can go out and decide for yourself whether you're going to add them to your iTunes playlist or Spotify uh, playlist or whatever, however you listen to music. Perhaps you get it on vinyl. I don't know. I don't think you'll be getting this on vinyl. Well, DeSoto reissued it. So maybe they have a, yeah, I mean, 2002. So maybe they did a vinyl pressing. Who knows? Who knows? 
That's it for us. If you know, leave we'll a comment. Back. Yeah, leave a comment. If you run DeSoto Records, leave a comment. We'll, we'll put a link up. I think that would be uh, Kim Coletta and Bill Barbo. 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 I think those are the people who run DeSoto. Or maybe it's been taken over by a conglomerate. I don't know. Perhaps uh, Seagram's owns it now or something. They're trying to cash in on the DeSoto catalog. That's it for us. We're out. Thanks again to Jay for joining me. And thanks again to all of you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Want to leave feedback? Join the conversation about this episode. Visit digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed. This week, undig me out. Tim and Jay review Lula Divinia by Shiner. (laughs) Let's do it again.